Hello, hello, and welcome uh, in person online. Uh, we know some of our friends are still battling sickness. There's uh, Every week seems to be a new list of folks, and so if you're joining us as you're sick, uh, we're praying for you to be well. And uh, if you're uh, well and you're around here and not here, uh, maybe we'd love to see you next week. And uh, uh, glad you're here, either in person or along. Glad you guys are here. So let's start out with our shouts. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? say I love God and I love you. This morning, we are going to jump into our series, but before we do that, uh, we have a special opportunity to hear from uh, one of our missionaries who's uh, back, um, and she's going to just share a little bit. So if you're online, just hold tight. This is going to actually cut out because there's some sensitive material that we don't on, uh, want online, and so it's going to cut out for about five minutes, and, and we'll be right back in about five minutes if you're online with us. So uh, just hang tight there. Take a minute to pray. If you're interested in what happens, and uh, text or ask someone uh, who you think was at service, or, or you could email me directly, and, and I'll let you know what happened. All right, we're back, and uh, oh man, now you go, I can't believe you guys missed that, oh man. So we're praying that God somehow blesses you as much as that just happened right here. So we can't tell you about it though, so sorry. Uh, now into the boring part, the message, you know. <laughs> so uh, um, We're talking about the prophet Habakkuk, and he had three big questions for God. In our first week, he was uh, asking, crying out to God for help, and he's like, God, I'm crying to help, why don't you listen? Don't you care? And then in our second week, uh, uh, Habakkuk was asking, why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why do the wicked get ahead? God, are you fair? And here in the third week, we're going to see Habakkuk's implied question of God, are you really there? Are you there in all of this? And Habakkuk had lived in a really strange time. There was a national revival. And then within his lifetime, there was a 180 degree turn where they turned back to idols and totally forsook God. And then God promised the Babylonians would come and conquer them. So Habakkuk had seen it all, and, and he heard God's proclamation that there was even more to come. Habakkuk said, this is just the beginning of the things that are going to come. And when he writes his prayer song in chapter 3, he has all of these things in mind. But, but at that time, instead of asking God the questions directly, which he's not afraid or ashamed to do, Habakkuk sits in it, and he thinks, and he, and he ponders about God for a little while. And he answers his own question whether God is in fact there as he looks back at the history of God through the centuries and his wonders and his goodness. In his time of prayer and reflection, Habakkuk finally comes to this place of hope and confidence in God that allows him to praise God even as he anticipates one of the most difficult times in the national history of Israel. He answers his own unspoken question that God is in fact there. Even though the even through all of the good and the bad, God is there. Let's see it together. This is in Habakkuk chapter 3. We all right? <laughs> You'd like to ignore that that happened, but we're not that big of a church, so some kid just fell on his chair for those of you online. <laughs> but we have big, solid chairs, so that's really interesting. All right, congratulations on being able to do that. That's fantastic. So we're jumping here in Hebrews chapter, uh, I mean Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, this is Habakkuk's final chapter. It's a nice short book. Uh, it says, a prayer, the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. And I also have, this is verse 19 as well. 19 is the last verse of this chapter. 
And then it's titled, For the Director of Music on My Stringed Instruments. And so let me bookend with the first and the last verse of this chapter, saying that he's writing out his prayer, but he's doing it in song form, which is really cool. So uh, just so you know that uh, anytime you have a song and you're an artist and you can create that kind of stuff, there is some uh, artistic license that may be taken. So not everything would be literal necessarily as we're looking at this. And so uh, here's what he says in uh, this Habakkuk 3.2. He says, Lord... I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk's a church kid. He knows all about God. He knows all the stories. He knows everything that had happened. He knows about Moses and Abraham and Adam and Eve and all of this kind of stuff. And in fact, he not only knows about it, but he believes it. And he's amazed as he reflects on God's past work of redemption after punishment. We see that this happens all the time. That God God says, don't do this, don't do this. People do it anyway. Then God punishes them, but then God redeems them and he restores them. And this is what he has in mind. And so he asks God to repeat that pattern and to remember mercy and wrath. So I don't know whether he's saying, God, after we finish this wrath part that's coming... Will you remember us in mercy? Or I don't know if he's saying, God, please give mercy before this wrath part happens. So we're not sure exactly his mindset. But we do know that uh, uh, he knows sometimes we deserve what we get. Sometimes we really do deserve some wrath. And it's even okay to ask, God, I need some mercy, even though I, I know I deserve consequence and punishment for whatever behaviors that I've had. And, and sometimes it's okay to ask him lovingly to provide mercy. We, we do that when we ask for salvation. We, we say, God, I know I deserve damnation, but instead I'm asking you to save. Now, we know that from history, God answered, God's answer to this particular question, God, would you save our nation from wrath? God's answer is no. And uh, just, just like we had heard just a moment ago, sometimes the answer is no. And ultimately, this horrible situation comes upon Israel where they're conquered by the Babylonians and many folks die they get displaced, they get taken into slavery, all sorts of stuff. But the request is still valid. God, would you have mercy even in the middle of your wrath? And then he's, uh, Habakkuk is going to sort of think about the things of God and how he's been navigating in the history, and he writes this. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hitting, uh, hidden. Now, Timon is a southeast city. Uh, uh, southeast of Israel in the land of Edom, which is modern-day, you guys know this, modern-day Jordan, right? Uh, Mount Paran is a synonym for uh, Mount Sinai where, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And so in this part, he's calling the listener back to remember that God had revealed himself to his people in the time of Moses and that God had been with the people all throughout. And, and so as he sits in his situation, he's thinking about how God has been faithful time and time again, and he can't help but, as he thinks about God, like how many amazing things has God done? How many? So he's thinking about Moses coming out of Egypt and, and receiving the Ten Commandments and, then, and, and the miracles that they saw all there. And, and as he's considering God, because the question, the implied question is, God, are you really there in all of these situations? And he's saying, well, God was here and he was here and he was here and he, and he was recounting and thinking of all the times God was so faithful. And, and as he does that, he gets to this place where he, he uh, show that verse really fast again, his, he gets to this praise part where he's like, the, the Lord's glory covered all of the earth. 
Then his splendor was like sun rays, rays flashing. It was like some big praise, right? And I think that, that we have to have times where we have big praise for God as we consider what he's done in human history because it places us in our proper place. It helps us to remember that God is God and I'm not. It gives us the appropriate honor and glory to God to say, God, you are the one that is above all this. You are the one that is good. You are the one that, that created this planet. It declares God's specific works. God, I remember when you were faithful doing this and this and this, not only in my life, but historically in human lives. It builds our confidence in the power and the goodness of God as we remember all the times he's been faithful, especially when you're about to go into a hard time or that you're in a hard time. It's critically important that we remember the good things of God and even glorify him during those times. He continues, Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and he shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. He's talking about uh, judgment for the wicked. And keep in mind that, that the wicked were in existence because of man's sin, not because of God's failure. Why is there wickedness on this planet? Is because of us. You know, you've heard the phrase, uh, when life gives you lemon, lemons, make lemonade, right? Anyone? Everyone's heard that phrase, right? When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Well, lemons aren't actually found in nature. People created lemons. They took the citron uh, tree and they uh, spliced it together with a bitter orange tree and we created the lemons. God didn't create the lemon tree. And so when, so that phrase, when life gives you lemon, well, we caused the lemons, right? And so human made lemons, same with evil in the world. Humans made it, not God. So all our gripes about evil and uh, prospering are really gripes against ourselves because we're the ones that made the lemons. And so that really makes this phrase pretty interesting, because though God didn't make the lemons, God makes the lemonade. So it changes that phrase a bit. Like, and now you're going to be like thinking about that maybe the rest of the day, and you're going to get stuck there, and that's fine. You know? God didn't make the lemon, but he makes the lemonades. And that's a little bit different than that other phrase, where it's about you creating something. The Bible says this, and we know that in, this is in Romans, we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know in all things, all things includes both good and bad things, even in brokenness, even through brokenness, God can use it for good. In blessing, in triumph, in trouble, in failures, in both the good and the bad, God can bring about something good because he is there. And he's always been there. The next section continues to back. It remembers God's strength and his triumph. He says, I saw the tents of Kushan in distress and the dwellings of the Midian in anguish. You were angry with the rivers, Lord. Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the seas when you rode your horse and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the Deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, in the lightning of your flashing spear, and in wrath you stood through the, uh, though the, uh, through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. So God has a history of being involved in this planet, in uh, human relationships. You came out to deliver your people. To save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of weakness. You stripped him from head to foot. 
With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. God has a history of saving his people. As Habakkuk remembered how God had saved in the past, it made him full of faith what God was going to do in his present. And it made him believe that God would do something in his future despite how the circumstance looked at his current moment in time. Here's what he says. I, I, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs. They, they trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. So song, song, song about what's going on. And he says, but God, even in the middle of it, I'm going to wait knowing that calamity is coming. I know we deserve this. We were talking about God being fair last week. God, I know that we deserve this. Because earlier God had told him the Babylonians were coming and they were going to be used by God for God's judgment on his people for their disobedience. And so I think Habakkuk shows the proper response of a man under a sovereign God to say, God, I, I recognize my own weakness. I recognize my own low standings. And I know that sometimes this stuff is going to come I know, God, that, that we created these lemons and sometimes it's really sour and, and sometimes it's really tough and we broke this world and, and sometimes sin causes horrible things in life and he braces for that. He recognized that God is both fair, just, and unfair that God gives mercy as we saw last week in the sermon. Now this makes him melt. But you'll notice in this next section He melts and yet at the same time has hope. Check this out. He says, Though the fig tree doesn't have any buds and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fail and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So in his mind's eye, Habakkuk is picturing what's about to happen. And he uses this metaphor of there's no figs, there's no fruit, there's no animals, it's going to become desolate and barren. And and he has in his mind's eye the Judean countryside completely destroyed by the Babylonians. And in the midst of, of this almost complete loss, what does he say? In the midst of it, he says, I can still rejoice in the Lord and I can still live a joyful daily life. He knew that This God of majesty and power is not diminished because of human circumstances. The the God of the universe is not diminished because we suffer some calamity in our lives. Because of our difficult trials, God is not diminished. Sometimes we think, like, if God is so great and powerful, how how come I'm going through this hard time? But as we recognize from the last three weeks, Habakkuk realized that this is the wrong question and the wrong attitude. Instead, Here we see him with the right one. God, I know you are strong and mighty, and I will praise you still. I will even rejoice you no matter the circumstances that I face. Now Habakkuk's not just practicing positive thinking. He's not ignoring the negative stuff that's happening. What does he do? He doesn't shut out the idea of the barren tree or the the fig that doesn't have plants or or dying cattle. He He doesn't block out the negative. Rather, he recognizes it and says, gosh... God, that is horrific. This is going to suck. 
And yet, God, I love you and I trust you. He says, I believe you're there because I believe you care. And I believe that you are fair and that you're listening. I will, because of those things, I will endure any difficult circumstances that come my way. And I'll do it with trust and hope. I mean, what a, what a powerful prayer for those of us that find ourselves, maybe it's today, that you're in some of those difficult moments. And if it's not today, some are going to come. So maybe you store this in your heart and your mind. Perhaps you too have felt the destitution of poverty. Maybe where you just didn't know how you are going to make men, ends meet. You didn't know, like, how, how am I going to pay the rent and this and this and this? And there was no way that you could pay all your bills. And there's just this like sinking feeling that comes from that. Maybe you know the sorrow of the loss of a child or the loss of a parent or, or even, even your spouse. Or the sadness of feeling all alone in the quad, even though you're surrounded by a whole crowd of people. Or that pit in your stomach and the emptiness that comes when your marriage isn't everything you hoped it would be. Maybe it seems like it's on the rocks or perhaps even hopeless. In every situation, God reminds us through Habakkuk that he is there. And rejoicing and joy are available in the midst of your situation. Would you pull that verse up again? Like Habakkuk, cry out the pain. He says, God, I recognize, oh, it's going to... It's horrible, it's dry and sad, whatever your pain is, whatever your desolation is, cry that out to God, but, but get to the yet. Don't stay in the desolate. Get to the yet. God, here's all this stuff going on. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. God, I recognize this, this, this sucks in life. Maybe it's a bad situation or, or, or tough circumstances. And just, God, I recognize, ah, oh, this is no good. Yet, I will still rejoice in you. My wife and I have tried to do this at every point in our life. When things are going great, sometimes uh, we're at home and, and in our evening prayer, we pray to, every night together. And, and in our evening prayer, we're like, God, there are no problems. No one's sick. All the bills are paid this month. And we're like, God, you are so good. And we rejoice in God and we love him. And there's been times in our life when, when uh, our daughter passed away, uh, when we, we got together and we said, God, this super, super sucks. Yet we love you and we rejoice in you. When our parent passed away, when, when uh, some months we got to the place where we, we didn't have money to pay all the rent, and the, we still said, God, we rejoice in you. And that's a commitment my wife and I made to always get to the yet. And, and we've, we, I think we've done it pretty faithfully, uh, always get to the yet. We, we got silly, silly stuff. Sometimes older people get scammed. We got scammed out of 800 bucks. Like, not that long ago. Like, you'd think you'd get wiser, but sometimes no. So, uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, 800 bucks got scammed out of 800 bucks. And so, at the end of it, we're like, oh, so dumb. Yet, God, you're still good. <laughs> you know, we lost that even, and, and we still ate that week, and so we were all good. So, you got to get to the yet. You can't stay in the desolate. 
And even as you're there, recognize it and then and get to that yet where you say, God, I rejoice in you no matter what. Here's Habakkuk's final emphatic answer to the question, is God there? This last verse is so powerful. It says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Habakkuk could properly declare this after he had prayed that prayer of faith of the previous verses. He said, God, I've recognized you throughout history. God, you have a pattern of faithfulness. God, you have have shown yourself to be powerful. God, you've shown yourself to always be right, good, and just. And and God, I'm in a time of darkness, yet I'm going to rejoice. And so he gets to this place where he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He rightly declares that that his strength was not in the fig trees. His strength is not in the cattle. It's not in his circumstances. Do you hear me? Your strength cannot come from your circumstances. It cannot come from how much money you have saved in retirement. It cannot come from the things of this world. Your strength, if it is resting there, then it is in the wrong place, friends. Your strength has to come from the sovereign Lord. And that's what Habakkuk recognizes. It says it circumstances, they're going to be good sometimes, they're going to be bad sometimes, and my strength doesn't come from there. It comes from the sovereign Lord. And he says it's not just like a a cheap sort of one. It's the strength that that causes security and and even dancing. And he uses this deer running running over high heels and, and, and secure of foot, not falling down. But more than that, deers don't just like walk along. Deers have like a, a spring to them. And that's what he's saying, God, even in the middle of like what's about to happen to my country, I, can, I have a spring inside of me because, God, you are my strength. Now, I quite honestly don't know anything about deer. Um, I lived in the city my whole life, but Google knows about deers. And so uh, I found a, a deer for you, a difference between a deer and a donkey. Here you go. He says, not only am I sure-footed, a donkey's sure-footed, but he says, I'm like the deer. There's like a different spring in the step, right, of that deer. And so the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. There's a spring, and he enables me to tread on the heights and and just bounce kind of around. That last sentence of Habakkuk in this book is with full view of this huge judgment that's coming and near total annihilation of his country. Everything that he holds dear is about to, the the temple is going to get destroyed. The people are going to get taken as slaves. And it's with that in full view, he says, God, you're my strength, you're my joy, you're my song of rejoicing. And he's able to do that because God is his strength. As I think about that, I think about like the apostles singing and praising while they were in prison (laughs) and worshiping God in the middle of prison. And I think about uh, historical martyrs and missionaries and and modern day martyrs who are imprisoned and and uh, joyfully praying over those who have imprisoned them, joyfully praying for their tormentors, a song in their heart, not because of their circumstances, but because God is their strength, not their circumstances. How about that for your next tattoo idea? The sovereign Lord is my strength, right? Okay, not tattoos, of course, we're against those, right? Mm. Um, 
Okay, so maybe a plaque above your, maybe a plaque above your bed, or like you know, tape it on your, tape it on your uh, bathroom window or something. You know, I, I can't help but to do something. So, oh yeah, so I, I was thinking that, so I got this here. Boom, plaque that up, ripped a picture off the internet. Sorry, copyright violation. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I printed this up, and uh, I want uh, one person who comes up to me after service, uh, a free gift to you, because I'm the giveaway pastor, I like to give stuff away, free gift to the person uh, that God brought here that uh, needs to have it this morning. So uh, that'll be available. It's a first come, first serve. It'll be a run right after service. I'll be running, it's circle, something like that when that goes on, right? Uh, so uh, if God's been speaking to you, and, and this is something that would encourage you, to remind you, because I'm asking that uh, we all be reminded that God is our strength, not our circumstances. The sovereign Lord, let me set that down. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He is there. He's always there. Even when you doubted, He was there. Even when when I messed up again this week, the same mess up that I always do. He's still there. In each prayer, in every worry, in every triumph, He is there. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And so let's get an amen shout. I'm going to have you guys jump up and we're going to clap as we stand together and worship. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Amen? How about that one more time? The sovereign Lord is my strength. Amen? Amen.